0: Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you.
1: Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio.
0: Well, good morning again. It is hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Um, I wanted to um, share with you this morning some particularly good news. Because, right, we there's a lot of times that we're just like, oh, there's just so much negative bad news out there. So I want to start with a question. What is the Bible worth to you? What is the Word of God worth to you? Could you set a price tag on it? What would you sacrifice to have access to the Bible? What would you give? Reuters is reporting this morning that the world's oldest Hebrew Bible is going up for auction. It is going to go on display in London next week uh, before an auction in May, and they anticipate that it could sell for upwards of $50 million. This is according to Sotheby's. Um, and so I just uh, asked the question again, what's the Word of God worth to you? What would you sacrifice to have access to the Word of God? So this uh, particular um, Hebrew Bible uh, is, um, is called the Codex Sassoon, uh, and it's very likely to become the most valuable printed text in the world ever sold at auction. Um, It is named after its previous owner, David Solomon Sassoon, who acquired the Bible in 1929. Um, He has a pretty uh, extensive uh, private collection of Judaic and Hebraic manuscripts. Um, And so it's pretty rare for a uh, codex of this age to come up for sale, right? Right. And some of us may say to ourselves, hey, don't you feel like that shouldn't be privately owned? But this is how this works, right? Everything is for sale in the world, including the oldest copies of the Bible. So this um, particular um, codex is uh, believed to be um, over a thousand years old. Um, And so anyway, quite valuable. I just, you know, how valuable, how precious to you is the Word of God? What would you sacrifice to have access to the Bible? Like what we really value um is probably answered by what we are willing to sacrifice in order um to continue to have access to it you never own the bible by the way whoever whoever ends up buying this copy of the um of the bible uh isn't going to own it right because that's just not how it works this bible think of all the hands think of all the hands over uh over a thousand years that this Bible has passed through. Think of all the eyes that have read it. Think of all of the hearts that have been changed by it. Um, nobody owns the Bible, and nobody's going to own this Bible. Someone is going to get the particular privilege of being a steward of it for a season, um, but nobody's going to own it um, because it's the very Word of God. So just a, a encouraging um, headline to start with this morning. The news out of um, southern Turkey and northeast Syria continues to just be absolutely heartbreaking. Yes, there continue to be miracle testimonies of um, people continuing to be pulled from the rubble. Um, but, you know, one story of, uh, of survival um, and then 10,000 more confirmed dead. Um, and that's probably how it's going to go until there are no stories of survival and only stories of, um, of counting the dead. Who has survived um, well, in every story that you read, there there will be one adult, and then there will be ten children. Um, the orphan crisis in uh, in southern Turkey and northeastern Syria is absolutely now catastrophic. Um, and we just talked about being orphaned believers or feeling like orphaned believers, disconnected from uh, community of faith and the family of God. We're talking here about um, orphans in in the more natural sense of the term, children who literally no longer have anyone to raise them. So we're going to talk with Rick Morton from Lifeline Children's Services about global orphan care um, as we bring these children into view. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Rick Morton is joining us again from Lifeline Children's Service. You can find um, Rick and what we're talking about today at lifelinechild.org. Rick, welcome back.
1: Carmen, thanks for having me. It's always great to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you with us today. Um, Maybe read us in globally on uh, the reality of um, children who are orphans.
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, Carmen, as we talk about the the plight of orphan and vulnerable children around the world, um, the scope of it really, I I think, staggers us. Um, UNICEF would use a number of 163 to 167 million orphans, but that doesn't really fully uh, encompass the the crisis, Uh, probably more than 200 million children around the world would fit into the the biblical definition of orphan, where they're deprived of a parent, deprived of care. Um, Somewhere between 15 and 20 million of those children are institutionalized. Um, And and I think the thing in the body of Christ that we have to remember is is that many times we think of this in terms of, of adoption, but that probably less than one half of one percent of that two hundred million children. Uh, the answer is adoption, and and especially international adoption. And and so I think even when uh, stories like you you've told this morning and talking about the the crisis that's going on in Turkey right now, is is we really need to think kind of broadly and deeply about how we engage to to step into the to the misery of of those kids because that's what. That's what James one one twenty seven is all about. It's it's about pastoring, shepherding, standing in the gap for children that don't have a voice and don't have a way.
0: Okay, so um, the scope is absolutely like that boggles the mind. We can't we can't begin to think about um, hundreds of millions of kids. Like it just I, I right, but we we can think about one kid. And the kids with that one kid in one place in view of one caring adult or one caring church. So talk with us about how we um, get ourselves rightly focused on equipping the people who are already in a position to care for these vulnerable children. Um, Like how how do you equip a caregiver? How do you equip a church in a local community where these orphans already live?
1: I think the first thing is that you, you think differently about the task a little bit. And I appreciate the way that you even approach the, the conversation because um, many times we think that our response is that we need to go, we need to be present. We need to set up orphanages. We need to create work in places. And, and I think looking at this as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, part of what we realize is, is that the, the church is present everywhere and, and, and us enabling and equipping the church wherever the church is to minister to orphans in their own community is is the frontline way to do that. We um, kind of thinking on scale of, of even a disaster that like you talked about with Turkey, we were engaged last year in the floods in, in Pakistan. And one of the things that we saw happen was the church that was already present that was already ministering to uh, orphan and vulnerable children that was that was already engaged we were able to along with other partners go in and resource them and build capacity so that they could minister to the burgeoning number of orphans that were presenting themselves as a result of the floods and and, and so I think the, the philosophy is that we take what we have here in knowledge and resources in um, you know, even tangible resources, and, and we focus on pouring those into people who are present 52 weeks a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day in, in the lives of, you know, of these vulnerable children. And so rather than thinking about missions as being this, you know, one-off thing that we do on a seven-day trip to go get really tired. Um, we, th- we think about how do we pour into the people who are going to be present always, because that's the healthiest thing for kids. Um, it's also uh, it's also a really good ecclesiology. It's a great way of looking at the church and and building up the church uh, around the world. And, and truly, um, as we're trying to, to see the frontiers of the gospel go forth, that speaks to communities in ways that kind of the barnstorming approach to missions doesn't, I think. Mm. And, and it, it, it's the church in the community, bringing the gospel to bear and, and bringing the, the care and the fruit of the gospel to bear in the lives of people in their own community. And, and in places like Turkey, um, many, many people don't have a category for that. And it, it, puts a winsome face on the gospel while accomplishing the goal in, a, in an incredibly effective way.
0: What about the vulnerable who will um, never see adoption? That's really the conversation that we're having. Um, Lifeline Children's Services is on the front line of this effort bringing gospel hope to vulnerable children through something they call Global Orphan Care. I'm going to drop the link to it in the show notes for today, or you can go directly to lifelinechild.org and look for Global Orphan Care. Um, If you're a person who, you know, like, prays over the geography of the world and God has set a particular part of the world um, in your heart, then uh, I want you to click on Fund a Project and see what's happening in Asia or Africa, Eurasia, Latin America, Um, see what God is already doing in those places and how he might be calling you to release the resources under your stewardship um, into this effort. We're going to continue our conversation with Rick Morton from Lifeline Children's Services in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen.
1: We're
0: continuing our conversation with Rick Morton from Lifeline Children's Services. You can find Rick and what we're talking about today at LifelineChild.com o r g um rick let's pivot just slightly and talk about mission kid what is mission kid and maybe how does that tie into this conversation about global orphan care
1: well carmen we have a conviction that um that there's no one who's too anything in the church to participate in orphan care you're not too old to um you know too busy to anything and and you're also not too young and We really believe that that part of the key to the church engaging uh, the orphan Christ as well is is kids early on learning the gospel mandate for for care and for orphans. And so we've created Mission Kid as a supplement to summer missions programming that that can help kids to connect to children just like them around the world, um, hear their stories, see their stories. Have an opportunity to understand a little bit about their life and their plight, but not just understand the differences, understand the similarities in a really engaging way that, that gives them an outlet to know how to begin to step in and, and pray for and advocate for orphan vulnerable children around the world. And, and so Mission Kid, uh, we, we currently have three modules available. Uh, there's one about uh, children in Liberia. There's also one about children in Ukraine, which came out last year uh, in the midst of the the war in Ukraine and kind of God's providential um, timing for us that, that we were able to bring that to bear. And then this year we're introducing a module on India. And so it's a great thing to be able to use in, uh, say, like a missions moment in a VBS or in a summer children's camp or – in some, some some other sort of engagement that you're doing um, takes 10, 15 minutes at the most, uh, quick video, a learning segment, a craft. There's a there's even a food element to it that you can kind of engage and 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 really get close to the lives of these kids and and help children in your church to really think broadly and deeply about uh, the struggles uh, that some kids are experiencing around the world. But it also gives them a really tangible step to know how to step in.
0: So I have a friend that used these um, as a part of what she calls um, backyard Bible study or backyard Bible. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember what what they called it. But so instead of expecting that the kids who lived in her neighborhood would all go to vacation Bible school because that was going to require like buy in from their parents um, to actually like get them to a church, even though it was like less than a mile away, it was still like a mile that she knew those parents were not going to sign those kids up and get them there. Like that just wasn't going to happen. So she basically duplicated a like vacation Bible school style thing in her backyard. Um, and you know, just like put out a sign in her front yard, kind of quote unquote advertising it and kids came and she actually used this as a way of introducing them to the concerns of kids in other places um and they did the little lemonade stand thing and anyway so i love this model of engaging kids as well in the conversation um i think that's a really particularly beautiful part of the mission kid model
1: yeah well it's and it's it's really you know it, it's it's fun and engaging but it's not it's not trite and so it really You know, it it helps kids to really kind of see and feel. And our kids who are really concrete in their thinking and they're just kind of, you know, beginning to figure all these things out. This gives them, you know, videos and visual images to help them see the world that other kids are living in. Um, But it also helps them to connect with their stories and and really think about, um, you know, some of the ways, some of the whys behind why kids become orphaned. And, and about the reasons that, that we need to help. And, and I think, you know, it, it's really a good corrective for us in the church sometimes where the problem is that we, it's not that we don't have a concern for orphans. The problem is that they're just out of sight and out of mind and, mm-hmm. and, and, and they're not present in our, in our thinking. Well, this is a way to, to help children to have that, this idea present in their thinking from very early on and And, really, to kind of shape their worldview as they're thinking about how to to live and tell the gospel out there for you know for the rest of their lives
0: um I had a conversation this is a little off topic, Rick but um I had a conversation um this past week with a with a ministry person who like loves the way that orphan care ministries um i mean I'm thinking here about like the Christian alliance for orphans the way that Orphan-related ministries seem to work collaboratively um, and in, in mutual encouragement, um, and that's just really not reflected in in very many other sectors of um, of the way Christian organizations, you know, that have a mutual concern, then seem to operate in in a way of fellowship with one another. Um, am I reading that right? That orphan-related ministries are working collaboratively in in pretty unique ways.
1: Oh yeah, very much so. And and I think it it's grounded some in in the fact that it, the task is so huge um, mm. that I think I think it's pretty obvious that that no one ministry is going to step in um, and and be sufficient across all the spectrum of needs and across all the opportunities. And so we need each other. There's, there's great value in the collaboration as well. Um, the great ideas that come from others and the way that we're able to take those and share those and build upon those is, is really open handed within, you know, within the orphan care community. I, I think the other part of it too is, is that there's, there's not really a sense of threat. We're not, the, nobody's worried about sheep stealing. <laughs> in the orphan care movement we're, we're concerned about kids knowing jesus and, and and about kids being taken care of and uh and kids you know finding families and finding permanency and and around those common goals we can kind of come and celebrate and and at the end of the day um you know they're not becoming a part of anybody's church they're not i mean they are but they're not becoming a part of you know our churches and and so there's there's just not that sometimes weird competitive spirit that, that comes into Mm -hmm. other things that we do in ministry. Um, And I think really, honestly, the things that you see in the, especially the global orphan care movement across countries and kind of the bigness of it is a really great example to the body of Christ of the way we ought to be functioning in, you know, in every area Um, that people are, are just sometimes, sometimes collaboration doesn't happen because, because it's so overwhelming and and we're just kind of overwhelmed with what's in front of us, and we fail to see people around us, but what I've experienced is when we help people to get their heads up a little bit and and see the bigger picture, the lean into collaboration is is almost universal it's It's like, oh my goodness, there are people out there that are actually doing the same kind of ministry we are, and we need to connect with them because we need to know what they know, and we need to you know we need to benefit from them. And, and and so there's just, there's great shared synergy in, um, in, in the way that that is accomplished.
0: Rick, as always, um, thank you so much. Uh, you encourage us um, and thank you for inviting us into the work as well. I want to encourage you today to visit lifelinechild.org, check out Global Orphan Care check out mission kid lots of um wonderful resources we'll drop it all in the show notes today as well um rick blessings upon you and those with whom you labor
1: thank you we love being part of the mornings with carmen family and and just are so appreciative for you
0: that is that is mutual thank you so much let's take a break for Breakpoint with john stone street So, if you have been uh, reading any headline news lately, then you are probably aware of um, the release of a report on Monday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, um, on teen girls and what teen girls in America are um, reporting. And so, um, this was a massive report um, of uh, of nearly twenty thousand teenage girls across the United States of America. Um, And according to the report, 57 percent of teen girls, this is uh, reporting in 2021. So, you know, now a little more than a year ago, uh, 57 percent of teen girls reported feeling, quote, persistently sad or hopeless. That's up 36 percent from just 10 years prior, which was the highest rate that had been seen in a decade. So um, the issue for boys is just simply not um, not as severe. 29% of teen boys reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless compared to 21% 10 years earlier. Um, and I think that like, we got to start talking about what's going on with our girls. 30% of teen girls, 30%, three out of 10 teen girls said they had seriously considered attempting suicide. In the past year, 30%. Um, And you might be saying to yourself, that just can't possibly be true. Um, And the report or the survey did not ask about the reasons for them feeling sad or having thoughts of self harm. But anxiety and depression, um, we certainly know, have increased among um, teens, not only during the pandemic, but in relationship to. Um, to social media and uh, isolation and the breakdown of the family and on and on and on and on and on. It is a really, really hard time to be a young woman in America. And so we want to talk with Callie Logan. She's the author of Hang In There, Girl, Real Advice from a Big Sister in Christ. She's going to join us next to inspire some hope and encouragement among teen girls today. That's up next You're on Mornings with Carmen. Callie Logan is joining us. Uh, You can find her um, on lots of uh, social media platforms. Um, We're going to talk with her today about hang in there, girl, real advice from a big sister in Christ. Callie, welcome to Mornings with
2: Carmen. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So um,
0: you are inviting us into a conversation um, that I am hoping those listening right now will in turn share with the people who are really sort of at the center of your heart in terms of this book. So talk with us about who Hang In There Girl is for so that everybody who's listening can bring that um, bring that young woman to mind.
2: Yeah, I really wrote this book. So I'm a US history teacher. And I've also worked with youth for about 10 years mentoring and working in youth group. And I found over the years that a lot of the young women had a lot of the same struggles or a lot of the same questions. And so over time, God brought me to write this book. And so it really is for young women who, you know, kind of a mature 13, 14, really through the first couple of years of college is really who I focus on and and I seek to speak to.
0: So that's really helpful. So now if you're listening and you have um, that young woman in mind, you've got, you know, that mature 13, 14 year old up through early college you're holding her in mind right now. Um, that's the context of the conversation that Callie and I are going to have about the reality of trying to live as an authentic Christian, um, inhabiting uh, a a social structure and even a church culture that is, frankly, not very Christian. I don't know how else to say that, but that feels like the what you're trying to write to. Like you're not just writing, highlighting the challenges that. Um, young Christian women face because of society. You're also writing it because of the challenges that young Christian women face because of quote, church culture.
2: You are exactly spot on. Yep. That is it. So talk with us a little bit about that. Like why,
0: what makes it so hard or what's what maybe, maybe approach it this way. What are some of the questions um, that get raised by young women um, because they see a disconnect, experience a disconnect between what they see in Jesus and what they experience in the church or in the culture.
2: Yeah. I think a lot of the questions that I bring up are things like you said, you know, they are seeing the people around them. They're seeing the people at church act a certain way. And that isn't always necessarily what is being said in the Bible to do. And so it is easy, especially in the society that we live in for young people to then associate all of Christianity with the actions of people of fallen human beings, you know, and my heart for the book um, was to kind of create that bridge, if you will, of, well, let's look at what the Bible actually says. What Let's see what it actually means to be a follower of Christ um, and and to hit it in that way. All right. Um,
0: I want you to give a word of encouragement to um, the person who thinks, uh, you know, they're an ugly duckling, um, and then I also want to get into the conversation about dating and waiting. Okay, so so I think the, so uh, yeah. So mirror, mirror, mirror is the one I have in mind. Um, in terms of the conversation about like how we see ourselves and the reflection of the world, and um, and this, it, the I mean, Instagram just feels to me like this just pit of despair because there's just no way I can measure up to somebody's filtered image
2: yeah a hundred percent well, and you know it's 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 so sad because Instagram also has such an ability to reach people that you would never meet ever true um, true. And But it's sad because we see where the enemy likes to take it and use it as a comparison tool to make us feel bad about ourselves um, and to bring ourselves down. And, you know, I I think about the names that God calls us and then the names that we will call ourselves. We're doing the work for the enemy. We don't, you know, he's delighting in when we call ourselves ugly or we call ourselves um, unworthy or less than. And so it's looking at that and taking a step out of it, maybe even just turning off the phone for a while. And really looking at the positive things about you or asking God, what do you call me? What do you say about me personally? And I think that's where that relationship with Christ is so important. And I try to highlight that in the book a lot, too, is is that encouragement um, to know who God calls you personally to be.
0: I, I love that. I actually had somebody recently ask me. Um, I'm going to be a part of a just a really small group of women that's going to take a couple of days away. And the organizer, um, she's asked us to consider a couple of questions in advance. And one of those questions is exactly what you just highlighted. Like, what are the three words or names that God calls you? Mm-hmm. Like, right? And that is, if you sit with that question for just a minute, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he calls you daughter and precious and beloved and cherished and um and whole and, and right those are not the names we often hear from the world and we don't even often hear them in the context of our own family when we are um when when we're young adults i mean we just that's just not often what people are hearing um from the culture or even from the culture of the church um we're talking with Callie Logan the book is hang in there girl real advice from a big sister in christ and if you're saying to yourself I I have someone in my life who needs this book. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Uh, enter the drawing for the copies that we're giving away today. I really do want to give these to people who, like, God brought someone to mind when Callie and I said, this is written for the mature 13 or 14-year-old through early college um, she she has a heart for Christ. She's just really struggling with how to know um, how that works itself out, not only in the context of the culture, but also in the context of the culture of a church that's often um, not representing Jesus very well uh, in the world today. I want you to talk, Callie, um, a little bit about what you um, what you reflect on in terms of. Uh, of dating and waiting and um, and and all the way through to uh, the conversation about the one. Can we do that in just a moment? Yes. Yes. All right. Because one of the primary questions that girls in this age group um, have and one of the conversations they want to engage in is the conversation about love and dating and sex and yes, marriage is there just one? Where is he? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Repeat after me. I'm a ball, battle ball. All right. Uh, if you've been listening to Mornings with Carmen for very long, you know I was single until my uh, early 40s, and so I certainly resonate with waiting for God to bring the right one. Uh, we're talking with Callie Logan today. She's the author of Hang In There, Girl. It's a conversation um, designed for young women, younger women, uh, maybe that older 13 to 14-year-old through early college who really needs a uh, a Christian who is a little further along than they are on the journey of discipleship, to walk with them through this patch. Um, to conversational. It is easily accessible in terms of the language. Um, it's deep in terms of the conversations. Um, it's just a great resource. And so if you want a copy, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Uh, to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today, you can connect directly with Callie and all of her socials at CallieLogan.com. I'll put all the links in the show notes today. Callie, let's, uh, let's talk about dating and waiting and the one.
2: Yeah, I think one of the biggest questions, as you said before the break, that I frequently saw was the question of dating, who should I date, when can I date, and everything in between. And I really wanted to hit that head on because I think that really becomes one of the most important issues that we see, not only for young women of this age, but, you know, women who are single of any age, really. And, you know, knowing that that relationship with a future spouse will be only second to that of your relationship with God um, in importance. And I really wanted to speak on it. And I'm a firm believer that we should invite God into every aspect of our lives, and most especially in dating. And so I really wanted to, to highlight some of those things and look at the surrender of it, because it's easy for us to, you know, you know. I remember being young and, and seeing a guy and like, oh, I like him, you know, like, I, I definitely want to date him kind of thing. But really looking at it and surrendering it over, God, is this somebody you actually want me to get to know? And in what context? is that a dating relationship? Is that a friendship relationship? Is that something you even have for me at all? Or would that go against your heart and your will for my life? And that's a very hard thing to do because you are completely relinquishing control and taking your hands off that. And oftentimes, especially in those teen years, the answer is going to be wait. Um, Because although God does bring, you know, those high school sweethearts together, That's not always the typical norm, and so that's sometimes a hard answer to receive, but I truly believe that if you trust God in that way, that you will be happy and glad that you did on the other side.
0: Um, Callie, uh, I wrote down a note to myself, um, really there are no single Christian women, (laughs) like because there is a marriage that if you're a Christian, you are already a part of Um, you're already claimed as, you know, one member of the larger bride of Christ. Um, I belong to him. Like, right. Like there really are no single Christian women. Like when, when guys, when I hear guys say, you know what, there's no good Christian single women out there. I'm like, that's right. Because all the good Christian single women are already married to Jesus like, if you would get it, if you would begin to get that, that what you're looking for is a person who is so wholeheartedly into her relationship with Jesus, um, then, then maybe she's the kind of woman worth considering marriage with. But until that, until we get to the place where as Christians, we, we like get it that there are no single Christian people. They're all already married.
2: It's like, isn't that what marriage really is ultimately and eternally? Yeah. I love that perspective. I've never heard it phrased that way, but I love that. And I think I'm going to back pocket that. You can steal it. You can steal it. I I have, I have, well, I
0: have have written one book and I don't really intend to, to, to write another. So if you want to write a book on that, I, um, I want to applaud and encourage I'll fan the flame of that. I, I just, (laughs) this idea that, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that we, we have so much brokenness, um, in the church, in, in our understanding of things, because we take these worldly perspectives of everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm even thinking here, the, the challenge that I know young women are facing in relationship to not having sex, like, right. And that's because our culture, including inside the church, does not esteem marriage as this holy sanctified reality. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Such a challenge. And then that leads us to a conversation then about abortion. Like, I just think about the number of people I know who are pro-life, you know, in public conversation. But if it comes to private discourse within their own household um, and, you know, the the plans I have for you, my daughter, going to college and graduate school and making, you know, making a name for oneself is interrupted by uh, uh, an unplanned pregnancy Yeah. Mm -hmm. Evangelical Christians are just as quick to get an abortion as anybody else. And so I just I mean, I don't think we talk often enough about just how hard it is to be an authentically to be an authentic Christian young woman, not only in the culture today, but in the church.
2: I completely agree with that. And I think a lot of that comes to sharing, sharing your struggles, sharing the things that you struggle with, because a lot of young women will look. Um, up to the women in their lives thinking, well, they're perfect. They don't struggle with this. They don't have these thoughts. They don't have um, this, you know, sin nature like I do. So how could I even bring that up? And I think that's where we have to have grounds for authentic conversation, Share in the struggles, share the places. Hey, this is something that I struggled with, and this is how I overcome it, or this is how I am overcoming it, or this is what God's doing in my life through it. And I think that is so important. And especially when it comes to relationships with marriage, with sex, with everything. Um, You know, having that relationship with God, surrendering that over to him, coming fully to God saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with these thoughts or or the desire to do this or the pressure because all my friends are doing this, you know. Um, And then also having that authentic conversation in church, not being afraid to talk about the hard things.
0: All right, because you're young and way more connected um, than I am, uh, here's what we need. We need a Christian discipleship app where, like, let's say, like a dating app, but not a dating app. It's for Christians like you to connect with younger women who want to be discipled um, and and women who are younger than me, but not as young as probably the ones you're going to be discipling, right? Because there's like this seasonal aspect to this. Like, I need to be actively discipling women who are, like, just one stretch behind me, and you need to be discipling the women one stretch behind you, and the women you're discipling need to be discipling women, like, one stretch behind them, and we need some sort of app to make that happen. Talk about the, the chapter on Bloom, because this is really where you kind of address this in reality.
2: Yeah, I am such an advocate for mentors and mentees. um, And I think that that is something that is so necessary. And whether they're, I think an app would be great for that, (laughs) connecting, um, or I think even just, you know, in your own church, or, you know, using the social media that we have in the way of going on Facebook and saying, hey, I really want a mentor for my daughter, or I really want a mentor for, you know, this other young person in my life or asking God to highlight someone. I was so deeply honored. This was several years ago. I was around 25 at the time and one of my friends contacted me and she said, Hey, I'm going to be moving. And my little sister really needs a mentor. She's 15. And I was praying and God put you on my heart. And I think you guys would connect well, just in personality and how the different activities you enjoy, but you also have a heart for the Lord. And I'd love for her to get to know you. Would that be okay if you guys grabbed coffee once a month? And here she's 22 now. Um, So all these years later, she and I are still tight. We're actually getting coffee on Saturday. Um, But I think God will bring those people. But you have to ask too, you know, and I I truly believe that God will supply uh, what is necessary for that. And it can so much fruit can come from that as well, because you're also building that that trust and that relationship and that friendship in some ways, because it doesn't always have to be these really deep, pressing, hard conversations, um, where you have the Kleenex nearby, it can also be that you're just doing life together in a fun way. Um, and so I think just having that mentor mentee is such a gift and then asking God if you're called to that and if you are to be used for that, uh, truly.
0: That's, uh, such a gift. Thank you for um, the conversation today, for what you do each and every day. Callie Logan, you guys can connect with Callie online and then to all of her socials, callielogan.com. The book is Hang In There, Girl, Real Life Advice from a Big Sister in Christ. She'd be a little sister to me, but she wants to be a big sister um, to others. And so if you've got um, a young woman in your life, Uh, trying to, you know, find her way as a young Christian. This is a great book. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today. Callie, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carmen. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That's mutual. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Okay, and now for something that I know literally nothing about, but it totally congested my uh, my newsfeed this morning. There is a show called The Masked Singer. Maybe you're familiar with it. Last night, the gnome was revealed. I didn't know what that meant. Um, you pretty much have to watch the video. Let me just say this: He's 97 years old, and in the world, in the word uh, words of one of the judges, you are our childhood. So I'm going to drop the video link in the show notes today. You can get the show notes wherever you um, subscribe to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast. You can also get them later today at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, who, who would you imagine that might be? Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.